0: Welcome back to episode 6 of Spooktober on the Nerd Picks. This episode will be very special. For anybody who grew up watching any TV shows from back on Cartoon Network, you will know this very creepy pasta story. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for your spooky things. We haven't always been here, but the neighborhood has. Even before it was a neighborhood on Earth, this one had been here. Here for those that would be lost on those cursed grounds, here for those who would die long before their real life had ever truly began, here for those who never really wanted to grow up. We come from different times, and we come from different lives, but one thing remains true of all of us, we come from, we lived on the earthly realm of the neighborhood at some point in our lives, and died long before our time was supposed to come. We don't remember much of our lives in the cul-de-sac. Since the last member of our group joined us, and we certainly will remember now when the next spirit comes. But here's what we do know. Rolf was the first to come. Unlike most of us, he was born of off plans, and even in the afterlife, hasn't lost touch of his old world liberty. He moved into a neighborhood in 1899 before it was developed. The son of a shepherd. He and the rest of his family came to start a farm on the lands that was soon turned into the place where would all eventually resided. He died in 1903. While tending to the farm's animals, the bull broke his friend's pen, and wolf's efforts to stop the beast, he was trampled to death. That's why, even though he brought many of his family's livestock with him in spirit, he chose not to bring the cattle along. He continues to go about the farm's business on a daily basis, but is more than happy to occasionally neglect them to play with the other children of the neighborhood. Johnny was always the lonely child. In fact, Rolf actually became his first human friend ever when he came to the cul sack after Rolf's death. His parents moved onto the grounds of Rolf's bar- her farm not long after his death. With no other children around and no fieldwork to take up his time as it did Rolf's, Johnny drew into his own mind to a great extent. From there, plan was born. Together they wandered about the countryside, climbing trees and getting themselves into trouble. Sadly, this end lasts forever, as a few years later, Johnny became bedridden with illness. In 1922, he died after a long battle with tuberculosis. He saw his imaginary friend, Plank, standing by him to his last breath. Even now in the afterlife, without the countryside to play in, Johnny still wastes much of his time through the back of the streets. Eddie was the next to come. Eddie was born in New York City, but moved in a neighborhood in 1932, just as the Great Depression was hitting full swing. The neighborhood, while still different, was beginning to take form from the fields of its past as families moved in and split the lands that had once belonged to Rolf's family. Always a schemer, Eddie looked to do anything to bring some comfort to his very bare family life, even if it cost him the friendship of others. Eddie died in 1939. After one of his grand plans to swindle a sack backfired, he drowned trying to cross the local river. After trying to run away from the group of angry kids he tried to deceive. Even in the afterlife, he keeps chasing after the almighty dollar. Eddie and Sarah moved to the cul-de-sac in 1948. By the late 1940s, the cul had already nearly taken its final form as one of the pre planned developments that had become popular in the post-war era. As brother and sister growing up after the chaos of World War II, they both had various ways of escaping their lives as children of a dead GI and a working mother. Sarah became enraged and controlling as she sought to make sure that everyone around her knew that she was in charge. All in an attempt to copy off her view of the hustle and bustle of her often working mother. Ed, on the other hand, went about it in a different way. He just shut it out entirely. In fact, he shut out nearly everyone and everything in the world entirely. Because he would appear to be a complete idiot. Ed chose instead to become completely involved in the monster movies and comic books that began to pop up after the war had ended. It wasn't too long after that. In 1953, Ed and Sarah died in a car wreck as their mother was driving them to visit their grandparents. Nas came a time after the brother and sister. Nas was a fire child. Born to a pair of hippies-turned-established men in 1968, she was a naturally beautiful girl, and always had a way with boys and men alike. She lived life on a whim and would often go about flirting and playing without any intentions. She died in possibly the most horrible way of any children in the neighborhood. In the summer of 1979, a serial killer, who had broken out of a local asylum, had slipped into her home in the dead of night, and raped and killed her along with her entire family. In the trauma of these events, she, in a way similar to Ed, shut out the world entirely and forgot of her parents and siblings, which is why, in the afterlife, she doesn't ever receive demands from the non-existent parents unlike many of other, the others do. This gives her much more time to lounge around and party as she often does. It didn't take too long before Double D joined the rest of the neighborhood. In 1982, he was the child of two highly controlling professionals, in the age of agreed that, despite their constant absences, dominated his life. As such, Double D became quite the intellectual and rather meek and shy figure. Always the curious type, he loved to experiment, but given the time away from school and the constant chores of his parents. This would lead to his untimely demise in nineteen eighty six, as a gas leak combined with a Bunsen burner from one of his experiments tore him and his house to pieces. Being the timid and subservient type between various misadventures, Double D continues to follow the written orders of his parents long after his death. Kevin was the next to join the group. When he moved to the cul-de-sac in 1991, he was born to the day of Double D's death and is in many ways his polar opposite. Kevin came from a broken home and developed a bold personality. In life, he was cynical and angry and took it out on many of the other children. His abusive father would rarely pay him any attention in life and would end up bringing about the end of it. In a drunken rage, his father beat him after Kevin attempted to stand up to him. He died on the way to the hospital in the winter of 1999. His father spent the rest of his life in prison. In the afterlife, Kevin changed his perception of, to the opposite of what his father, what his life really was with a distant father who would shower him with gifts. However, he continues to maintain his bullying even in death. Jimmy was the last to come to the cul-de-sac. He moved to the cul-de-sac in 1997 and into the house where Naz once lived was very overprotected by his parents, often locking him up in his room for hours and not letting him socialize with the other children. Jimmy's parents were as severe as were realized when in 1998 he was diagnosed with severe leukemia. Jimmy lingered for the final part of 1998 and all of 1999 in a state of near death until finally on New Year's Day 2000 he passed away. The Painter Sisters were different from any other dozens of the cul-de-sac. They were never of the earthly plane of existence. Instead, they are the children of demons, utterly dissimilar from the succubae of human lore. They seem to possess abilities impossible by the standards of the Others, such as the ability to appear nearly anywhere instantly. They were sent from Hell to torment the already tortured souls in the neighborhood, surprisingly, are attracted to EDS for unknown reasons, although it is speculated that they are the weakest-willed members of the neighborhood and are seen as easy targets by them. Despite that, they are universally loathed and often feared by everyone, including the EDS. In 2001, to prevent any other deaths, the town was quarantined by FBI and the U.S. Army. They also did it to prevent any Al-Qaeda activity just to see if any terrorists would talk about their plans there. But the only activity there in the cul de sac was paranormal activity. Many of the ghost hunters that went to the cul de sac have been reporting sounds of children, stuff moving around, and they even saw the ghosts of animals that belonged to Wolf. In 2005, the FBI lifted the quarantine off the cul de sac as they found nothing related to what they were looking for. In 2009, on the 70th anniversary, of Eddie's death, the last family left the cul-de-sac. Ever since then, the cul-de-sac had been abandoned, and a warm spot for ghosts, but mostly the Eds. And that was a creepy pasta from Dudley's childhood, from Ed and Eddie. I hope you enjoyed this night's creepy reading, stick around for tomorrow because we'll be going over something a bit more creepier than usual. This is Jade from the Nerd signing off, and whether or not you like the term nerd or not, keep loving what makes you, you, and stay awesome. This is Jade signing off, I will now disappear into the night see you tomorrow